Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. What worldview best explains the biggest questions in life? And what are some of the biggest questions in life? Well, one question you want to ask if you're a thinker and you want to know why here and what this is all about, you want to ask the question, why does anything exist? Why is there a universe? Uh, Does God exist? And if so, what kind of God? And if there is no God, why is there something rather than nothing? That question was brought up by the philosopher Leibniz many years ago. Seems to be a good question. If there is no God, why does anything exist? Why is there something rather than nothing? And do you have to investigate every every religion or philosophy to discover which one, if any, are true? Why is the universe so orderly? And where did the laws of nature come from? Some atheists are talking about the laws of nature can do this and the laws of nature can do that. Well, why are there laws of nature to begin with at all? And why is the universe fine-tuned? Why is there reliable cause and effect? Our ability to do science is predicated on reliable cause and effect, that every effect has a cause. Well, why is the universe that way? Why is reality that way? Why does it operate by cause and effect? Why doesn't it operate willy-nilly or randomly? And why is there such a thing as evidence? Sometimes atheists will say, hey, there's no evidence for God. Sometimes I want to stop and say, why is there evidence for anything? Why is there such a thing as truth and consistent truth? How did life begin? How did subsequent life forms begin? Where did they come from? Why can our minds discover truths about the external world? Why can that three-pound brain of yours, through your senses, ascertain truths external to that three-pound brain and come to right conclusions about reality? Why is that the case? Think about that. Why, Why can we even ascertain truth? What is the source of the laws of logic and the laws of mathematics? All physical things change. Why don't those laws change? Why don't the laws of nature change? Why can we even communicate? Why can two three-pound brains communicate with one another? And how do they do that if there aren't these fixed laws of logic that serve as a bridge between these three-pound brains? How does that work? Where do these laws come from? Many years ago... uh, An atheist wrote an article called The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics. I think it was back in 1960 or 1961. And his question was basically, why can we describe the universe mathematically? Why Why do numbers on a chalkboard actually describe with precision What goes on in the universe? Seems like there's a mathematical grid upon which reality 
exists. Why is that? Atheists will say everything's, you know, that things happen by random process. Random? What do you mean by random? World sure doesn't seem random. It seems organized. And our ability to ascertain truth about it is predicated on the idea that the universe is organized. And that our three-pound brains can ascertain those truths using the laws of logic and the laws of mathematics through our sense data. Why is there such a thing as probability? What do I mean by probability? I had a debate with a very fine gentleman. His name is uh, Jeffrey Lauder. Uh, he's an atheist. He might call himself more of a naturalist. You can see the debate on our YouTube channel. Uh, he's an actual atheist or an atheist that actually tries to give arguments for atheism, not just tries to say, I lack a belief in God or any of that other kind of nonsense. He's actually trying to give evidence for the naturalistic worldview. And one of the things he does is he uses probability theory. Well, my question is, why is, why is there such a thing as probability? Again, why is the universe and reality mathematically described? Why can we use mathematics to describe things? Why are we conscious? Daniel Dennett, the famous new atheist, says consciousness is an illusion. I wonder if he was conscious when he said that. And what, what, how do you describe consciousness or how do you explain consciousness from a materialistic perspective? Really hard to do. Are we to believe that every one of our thoughts is completely the result of materials? And our consciousness is completely the result of materials? We'll talk about that. These are the big questions. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're talking about the big questions in life. What are they? And which worldview best explains these questions? What is the source of objective moral obligations? Not just from a platonic perspective. Plato said that these forms just existed, like justice just existed. It's hard for me to believe why that would be the case. He's saying they exist independent of God. And if justice really does exist, why am I obligated to be just if there is no God? Well, what is the source of objective moral obligations, objective moral values? Where does evil come from? What is evil? If we don't have free will, how do we reason? How do we follow the evidence where it leads? Really, I wonder if they freely said that. I wonder if they freely came to that conclusion that we don't have free will. And if they didn't freely come to that conclusion that we don't have free will, why should we believe it's actually true? The laws of physics told them we don't have free will? We should believe in the laws of physics to arrive at right conclusions about reality? What is the purpose or meaning of life? Is there a real meaning to life? Some atheists will say there's no meaning to life, but they don't live that way. They actually think there's meaning. They actually say there's no meaning, but they live as if there's meaning. Some may say there are no moral obligations, but they, they live as if there ought to be moral obligations, and we, we have to live our life that way. Many years ago, Kurt Wise was a uh, assistant or an intern or a TA with the famous evolutionist um, Stephen Jay Gould at Harvard University. And after studying under Gould, Kurt Wise at some point became a Christian and then devoted his life to debunking evolution and supporting, uh, supporting young earth creationism. And 
Richard Dawkins, who uh, knew, of course, of this situation with Kurt Wise and Stephen Jay Gould, said, Kurt Wise is wasting his life. This is the same Dawkins who said, well, there is no meaning to life. There's no purpose. There's no right or wrong. There's no justice. There's nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. We just dance to our DNA. So Dawkins, on one hand, says there's no meaning to life. There's no purpose to it. Yet he's excoriating Kurt Wise for wasting his life. For not giving his life, not living his life the right way, the proper way, the meaningful way, the purposeful way. Wait, wait, wait. You can't have it both ways. Look, either there is meaning or there isn't. If there is meaning, then your statement about there is no meaning is false. And if there is no meaning, you can't excoriate somebody for not living the way you think they ought to live because there's no meaning to life according to you. How should we live? What is the real meaning or purpose to life? Why do we feel guilt? And how do we tone for our bad moral behavior? Why is there a New Testament? We're going to get into that question at some point. Maybe not in this show, but we're going to talk about that. Why is there a New Testament at all? And how did Christianity arise out of Judaism in the first century if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? Let me say that again. How did Christianity arise out of Judaism, God's chosen people, in the first century, Jerusalem, if Jesus did not rise from the dead? How did that happen? And what happens when you die? These are all questions, big questions. Which worldview best explains them? We're going to talk about it right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Back in two minutes. If you're low on the FM dial, looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're talking about the big questions in life, questions you're not going to hear, certainly not all these questions on NPR. The big questions in life. I listed about 30 of them before we started or to get started in the, in the last segment. Let's deal with a few of them in this program, and in future programs, we'll keep talking about these big questions. Which worldview best explains the big questions in life? Now, before we get into this, let me just deal with the atheistic claim, or the, the current atheistic claim, uh, that some atheists are saying, that atheists don't really have a worldview, they just lack a belief in God. Now, there's a number of reasons why that's, not the case, um, and I deal with it in the book Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. In fact, many of these questions that we're dealing with are in Stealing from God. So if you want a written source on what we're going to talk about, get Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Uh, there's also a DVD set, by the way, from our TV program that you can go, if you click on crossexamine.org and click on store, you'll see, uh, you'll see, scores of DVD sets, but the one on Stealing from God goes through the book and gives the high points of the book. So if you'd rather video, you know, watch it via video, uh, you can get that. You can also get uh, workbooks that go through it, so you can teach it to your Sunday school class. You can take an online course in Stealing from God if you want. It's all up there at crossexamine.org. Anyway, uh, when atheists say that we just lack a belief in God, uh, they may 
They may truly believe that, but if you drill down a little bit, you'll realize that's not the case at all. Um, because if you say you just lack a belief in God, you're really not saying anything about reality. You're just saying something about your psychological state. I mean, if atheism is merely a lack of belief in God, then atheism is just a claim about the atheist state of mind. It's not really a claim about God's existence. The atheist is just saying, look, I'm not psychologically convinced that God exists. Well, my response to that is, well, so what? That offers no evidence for or against God. I mean, most people lack a belief in, in unguided evolution, yet no atheist would say that that shows that evolution is false. So, if you're just going to say you lack a belief in God, you're just, you're just saying, I'm psychologically not convinced that God exists. Okay, fine. You might not psychologically be convinced, but I am. So what does that prove? We, we got to start talking about what's really out there. We've got to start talking about evidence for or against God. You say, well, you can't prove a universal negative. Well, we're not trying to prove a universal negative. We're just, if you're an atheist, you're just trying to say the evidence more lines up with that, the fact that this universe doesn't need a God. And it turns out that that's what atheists try and do. While they say they lack a belief in God, on the other hand, they're saying they have positive beliefs to explain this universe absent of God. So, in other words, they're, they're continually trying to offer supposed alternatives to God. They write books saying that God is out of a job because, you know, quantum theory, that the universe could come from a quantum vacuum. They never, of course, explain where the quantum vacuum came from. Um, they'll explain God isn't needed for, to explain the fine-tuning of the universe because there's multiple universes out there. They'll try and give evidence for that, even though... There's no real way to give evidence for a multiple universe because the only universe we can observe is ours. They'll try and say that God is out of a job because macroevolution is true. See, so they're not just, or materialism is true. So they're not just lacking a belief in God. They're given positive, at least what they perceive to be positive evidence for why this universe is the way it is without God. So they, they are believing in certain things. Quantum theory, multiple universes, evolution, materialism, whatever it is. Otherwise, if they just lacked a belief in God, they wouldn't be coming up with all these alternative explanations. They, when they do that, are at least trying to say, here's my worldview. It's materialism. It's evolution. It's quantum vacuums. It's multiple universes. That's my, that's my worldview. Let's see if that can best explain reality. Okay, fine. Let's, let's, let's. Take those theories and see if they can explain morality. So they don't just lack a belief in God. Also, if you think about this, there's really only three possible um, positions you can take on God, say the God of the Bible. Either the God of the Bible exists, either the God of the Bible doesn't exist, or you don't know whether the God of the Bible exists. If you're saying he does exist, that would, call, that would be called Christian theism. If you're saying he doesn't exist, that would be called atheism. If you're saying, and, there, and no other God exists, you know, that would be called atheism. If you're saying you don't know, that's agnosticism. So you got three choices. And even the agnostic is making a positive case. The agnostic is saying, look, there's not enough evidence, at least there's not enough evidence I've seen to come down on one side or the other. That's still a positive view that you're going to have to you're going to have to deal with evidence because if somebody comes with evidence to say that God does exist 
then um, you're going to have to say, well, I don't think the cosmological argument is good. I don't think the teleological argument is good. I don't think the moral argument is good. I don't think uh, the arguments uh, that we've talked about on this program before from philosophy are good. Say the arguments that Ed Fazer brings up in his book, uh, Five uh, Proofs of the Existence of God, those philosophical arguments, you know, the act potency argument or the fact that the world is composed and every every uh, finite thing is composed, which means there must be an uncomposed composer that isn't made of parts that's, that's simple. Um, you, you would have to say that those arguments aren't good arguments, okay, if you're an atheist. So, look, either God does exist, he doesn't exist, or you don't know if he exists. Those are the, those are the three choices you have. To say you lack a belief in God doesn't say anything about reality other than your own psychological state. So, in other words, if you're going to be a reasonable, truth-seeking person who's interested in trying to have a consistent worldview, then you're going to have to come forth with positive beliefs that explain reality the way it is. Coming up in August, uh, I'm going to have a debate with uh, Michael Shermer. I've had a debate with him before. A uh, nice gentleman who is the, I think he's the publisher of Skeptic Magazine. And uh, Dr. Shermer and I had a debate at Stony Brook University back about three years ago on what best explains uh, morality, God or science. I, of course, took God and uh, Michael took uh, science. You can see the debate on our website, the YouTube channel uh, for free. Just go to crossexamine.org and you'll, you'll find it. Uh, or go to our YouTube channel. It's set up as Turek Video. Turek Video. There's over uh, there's hundreds of videos up there. Most of them are these little short Q&A videos. In any, in any, in any event, our, our debate that we had was dealing with morality. The debate that we're going to have in August in uh, San Jose, California, is called What Best Explains Reality, Theism or Atheism? See, I don't debate does God exist because that makes it seem like the only person that has a burden of proof is me, the theist. Because the other person can just say, well, I, I think God doesn't exist, right? He doesn't have to give any positive case for his worldview. But if you put the debate, what best explains reality, theism or atheism, then the atheist has to come forth with arguments to explain why reality is the way it is without a being called God. And so we're going to have that debate. Those are the debates I've had with most atheists. Uh, the debate I had with, uh, one of the debates I had with Christopher Hitchens, same thing. The debate I had with, uh, with Jeffrey Lauder, same thing. What best explains reality? Uh, theism or atheism? Now, does God exist is an interesting question. But when I debate it, I want to put it in terms that require both sides to have a burden of proof. And when we say, does God exist, we've got to define what we mean by God. Because most people have their own private conception of what God is like. Quite frequently, it contradicts the Bible, and quite frequently, it contradicts even a philosophical view of God, a consistent philosophical view of God. So what I ask people to do is I want you, I want you to, to take the word God out of your vocabulary for just a minute. In fact, take, take the word God out of your vocabulary right now as we're, we're talking about this. Just leave that word aside. Here's my question. What is the source and sustainer of all things? Or who is 
the source and sustainer of all things. Who is the source and sustainer of the universe? Who's the source and the sustainer of the laws of logic, the laws of mathematics, the laws of morality, um, the natural laws themselves? Who's the source and sustainer of life? Who's the source and sustainer of the, of, of the natural laws that are co so consistent and persistent? These, this is the question that we're trying to answer when we're trying to see what the attributes of God are. And I think if you look at what the Bible says and you look at what uh, philosophical conclusions will be when you investigate the universe, when we're talking about God, here are some of the attributes of the being we're talking about. When we're talking about the source and sustainer of all things. This being is self-existing. In other words, the being is not caused by another being. This being is the foundation of all being. This being is infinite, meaning he's, this being is unlimited. He's completely maximized or actualized. He has no potential in him. We See, we're a mixture of actuality and potentiality. In other words, we're actual, but we also have a potential to change our actuality in the sense that we can become bigger or smaller, smarter or dumber. In other words, we can change. But the being that created and sustains all things doesn't have any potential to, uh, to change. He's completely actualized. He's maxed out, if you will. He's simple, meaning he's undivided. He's not made of parts. He, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, if he was made of parts, he'd be composed. If he was composed, some external being to him must have composed him. No, this being is the uncomposed composer of all contingent things that exist, all things that are composite are made by the simple being this being is immaterial meaning he's spirit he's not made of matter he's spaceless meaning he transcends space this being is timeless he transcends time he had no beginning he's going to have no end he's omnipotent or omnipotent meaning he's all powerful he can do whatever is logically possible he's omnipresent he's everywhere present he's not present as if he's in everything but his power is present to everything He's not in everything like, like pantheism. Like he's not me, he's not you, he's not his grass, he's not the grass, he's not the trees, he's not the, he's not the universe, but his power is present to the universe in the fact that it's, it created the universe, this being did, and is sustaining the universe. The being is om, omniscient, all-knowing, it's immutable, it doesn't change. He can't change, he's already a perfect being. What's he going to change to? He's holy, he's set apart, he's morally perfect. He's perfectly just and loving. He's personal. He has mind, emotion, and will. He makes choices. He's also triune. He's three persons in one divine essence. What evidence is there for this being? We'll talk about it when we come back from the break. I'm Frank Turek. Go to our website, crossexamined.org, for more. Back in two. couple of places you need to know about if you don't know about them already, friends. One is Summit. Summit.org. Summit is a place you can send your teenager, your high school, your high schooler or your college student to learn more about Christian apologetics and the Christian worldview. I teach at Summit several times a summer. Many other philosophers and apologists do. The main campus is out in Manitou Springs, Colorado, but there's a campus uh, in uh, Jackson, Jackson, Tennessee, and uh, also one in uh, Pennsylvania that you can go to. Uh, but you need to sign up quickly because the summer is rapidly, uh, well, it's approaching, but it's actually uh, the summer's already started at Summit. There's been several sessions already. 
uh, and they go through August. So if you want to send your son or your daughter to a two-week program that uh, just is a, a wonderful indoctrination in a good way into the truth of Christianity and uh, the philosophical and evidentiary support for that worldview, go to Summit. Also, Impact 360 is another great uh, ministry down just about an hour and 15 minutes south of Atlanta, Georgia, in Pine Mountain, Georgia. They do a summer program as well, and they do a complete gap year program from September to May. So students out of high school, before they go to college, if they want to get really grounded in the truth, they go to Impact 360, a beautiful campus down there, partially funded by Chick-fil-A, actually mostly funded by Chick-fil-A. So we know they have delicious food as well. So check out Impact 360. Check out their website for more on there. My friend Jonathan Morrow is down there uh, helping to run Impact 360. Uh, those two ministries, outside of our ministry, crossexamine.org, are places you can certainly go uh, to get more of this information on why Christianity is true and how to defend it. So check out those two uh, ministries, particularly this summer. Summit, summit.org, and Impact 360. All right, let's go back to our discussion. We're talking about the big questions in life. And one of the questions is, does God exist and what kind of God? And I just went through the attributes of the biblical God, why that being actually exists. And I mentioned earlier, uh, if there is no God, why is there something rather than nothing is the question that everyone needs to answer. Now, some may say, well, you're saying that God exists. Well, who made God? We always get that question. Well, obviously... <laughs> The answer to that question, when people ask it, is they're not thinking about God in the terms I mentioned before the break, and that is, who is the source and sustainer of all things? Who is the uncaused first cause? Who is the unmoved mover, as Aristotle would say? There has to be something that just has existed from all eternity. Otherwise, nothing would exist. That's why the question, if there is no God, why is there something rather than nothing, is a great question. Because... Some might say, well, the universe has always existed, but the evidence shows it hasn't. The universe hasn't always existed. It had a beginning. So there must be something that transcends the universe that created the universe. There must be something, if space, matter, and time had a beginning, something that's spaceless, timeless, and immaterial, who's also powerful, personal, and intelligent in order to create this universe. Well, those are the attributes that we would call God, the source and sustainer of all things. In other words, at the end of the day, there's only two possible, two possible answers to the question, why does anything exist? Either the grounding of everything that exists is matter, or the grounding of everything that exists is mind. Now, we know it can't be matter. Why? number of reasons. Number one, matter had a beginning. If matter had a beginning, there must be something immaterial that brought it into existence. Number two, matter is composed. Matter is composed of parts, and all things that are made of parts are composed. So there must be some, something uncomposed, not made of matter, immaterial, that brought it into existence. Three, things are designed. They at least appear to be designed. And there's intelligence behind the universe. There's structure. There's orderliness all around us, and we wouldn't even be able to do science unless there was orderliness all around us. So there must be a source of order. There must be an intelligence out there. Those are just three reasons why 
the ultimate foundation of all things is a mind, something, something immaterial and intelligent rather than matter, which is not intelligent and is composed. So either mind came from matter or matter came from mind. At the end of the day, those are the only two worldviews. And as I've said before, there's really, only two, there's really only two religions. You can worship the creator or you can worship some aspect of the creation. And unfortunately, many of us are worshiping some apt aspect of the creation. Could even be another person. Could be nature. It could be something in the world that we put as our ultimate commitment. But in reality, our ultimate commitment should be to the Creator. And Paul talks about this. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. And he says, look, everybody intuitively knows that there must be a creator God out there just by the creation. We know there's, there's got to be a cause for this effect, in other words. We reason from effect back to cause. There's a creation, there must be a creator. And we go from the effect back to cause. That's what scientists do. They look for an effect, they have an effect, and they, they look back and they say, well, what caused this effect? That's what, that's what scientists do. They're trying to discover what cause caused a particular effect. We see an effect known as creation. We know there must be a creator. We have a moral law written on our hearts. We know there must be a moral law giver. So when someone asks who made God, the answer is no one because he is the unmade maker. He's the uncreated creator. You can't get behind him. He is the ground of all being. And look, if you're timeless, which the evidence shows time had a beginning, if you're timeless, do you have a beginning? No. You're timeless. That's the point. You don't have a beginning. You don't have an end. You're not in time. So no one created God because God is uncreated. This is why the question, although it's, it appears like it's an interesting question to begin with, really just misunderstands the whole concept of what we mean by God. We're not talking about a being inside the universe, a created being. We're not talking about like a superhero. We're talking about a being who's beyond the world, who created and sustains the world, a being that's outside of the space-time continuum. This is why when atheists like Richard Dawkins says, well, you're an atheist too. I just go one, one God further than you. They're making a fundamental error. They, they don't even, people like that don't even understand the kind of God we're talking about. Because he'll say, well, you know, uh, you don't believe in Ra. You don't believe in Zeus. You don't believe in Thor. Well, neither do I. I just go one God further. I don't believe in Yahweh either. Yeah, but Yahweh is not the same as Thor or Ra or Zeus. Those beings those mythical beings are created, and they're, and they're inside the universe. They're not the creator of everything and the sustainer of everything. Yahweh is beyond the universe. If Thor, Zeus, and Ra exist, they're created by Yahweh. So he doesn't, he doesn't, he, people like that, they're, they're creating a caricature or a straw man and then knocking the straw man over trying to say, well, your God is just like Thor. No, 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 our God, our God transcends all that. So the point here is, is that you're down to two choices, either mind or matter, and matter doesn't work. So mind is the ultimate cause. Now, which mind? And the question now is, do you have to investigate every religion to discover which one, if any, are true? Sometimes I'll get this question. Well, have you read all the Vedas? Have you, uh, have you investigated every world 
religion to discover whether or not it's true? Well, you don't necessarily have to. Why? Because if theism is true, then all non-theisms are false. And last I checked, there's only three major theisms out there. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Oh, yeah, you might say there's some other minor ones. Okay, well, you can investigate those too. But the three big ones are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And if you have good evidence to show that theism is true, then any non-theistic worldview has to be false. Now, I'm not saying that everything a non-theistic worldview teaches is false. I'm saying when it comes to the existence and nature of God, they have that wrong. And that's a pretty big deal, okay? So, um, what are some non-theistic worldviews? Well, there's several out there. Hinduism, Buddhism, um, Mormonism. Mormonism? What? Frank, what are you talking about? I have Mormon neighbors. They're very nice. They're like Christians, aren't they? Well, they're very nice. There's no question about that. But that doesn't mean they're Christians because actually Mormons are polytheists. Yeah, they believe that as man is, God once was. And that one day you're going to become, if you're a Mormon, you're going to become a God of your own universe. In other words, they believe in many gods, not one. There's a lot of other differences as well. In fact, there's a new book out, and maybe I'll have the authors on here at some point. I just got the book in the mail. It's called Sharing the Good News with Mormons by Eric Johnson and my friend Sean McDowell. So you may want to check out that if you have people coming to your door. This is a good book at least to start with. Uh, Well, it's actually an edited book that has articles from several different people in it, including our friend Jay Warner Wallace, because his whole uh, one side of his family is is LDS, uh, Mormons, and so he's very... Uh, very familiar with what they believe and how to how to interact with them, uh, but the point here is is that there may be some things that Mormon that Mormonism teaches are true, but when it comes to the existence and nature of God, they appear to have it wrong. So if you have a theistic worldview, then you really just need to look at the major theisms out there to see which of those are true. Now Judaism, I believe, is true. I just think it's incomplete. I believe the Old Testament's true, but it's not complete until you add the New Testament. And so Christianity is really completed Judaism. The Old Covenant now has been passed away, and the New Covenant now exists. And Jesus and his teachings and the apostles' teachings are now our guide. So if Judaism's true, I'm all good with that. It just affirms... uh, Half of Christianity, if you will, or it's, it's a foundation for Christianity. It's a start to Christianity. Um, the only other big player in there is Islam. Is Islam true? And so, yeah, you have to look at Islam and see what kind of evidence is there behind Muhammad. And we can talk about that in another program. I don't think uh, Islam uh, is the true worldview when it comes to theism. For a number of reasons we've talked about on the program before. One of them, of course, is that Muhammad never did miracles, even though he was asked to do miracles to confirm he was a prophet. He said, look, I'm just a plain warner. And all the miracles attributed to Muhammad, see, there are no miracles in the Quran attributed to Muhammad. Arguably, there might be one, but even scholars disagree on that. Muhammad said he didn't do miracles. And yet the miracles attributed to him later were attributed to him 150 years after his death by other writers who wrote what's called the Hadith, the written traditions of what Muhammad said and did, 
And uh, even many Muslim scholars believe that those aren't real, they're legendary. So the best evidence is that Christianity is true, and we'll get into that again after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network, back in two minutes. If you have not signed up for our Facebook pages, please do. Crossexamined.org is one of them, and Dr. Frank Turek is another one. We're doing a lot of uh, Facebook Live. My uh, colleague, uh, Jorge Gill, who not only uh, is uh, brilliant in English, but also brilliant in Spanish, uh, is uh, putting up some live events on our Facebook pages that you can watch. And... Um, I'll be on there with him on occasion. He's doing some of his own. Sometimes he's playing some of our TV shows uh, that you can watch on Facebook for a limited period of time. And uh, you can also, by the way, watch our TV show live. It's off our app, the Cross-Examined app, uh, two words in the App Store. It's also on our website. It's on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern Time. And uh, we've gone through a recent series on reflecting Jesus into a dark world. Pretty soon we're going to start a new series called Miracles. We've talked about that on the program here, on the radio program, but we're going to do a TV version of it. Uh, Miracles, the evidence, you don't want to miss that. So like our Facebook pages, in addition to seeing these Facebook Live events that we're doing over the summer, you're also going to see when we go back on college campuses, you're also going to see uh, the college campus event streamed live, including the debate, by the way, that uh, we're going to have with Michael Shermer toward the end of of uh, August. I think it's the last week in August out there in um, San Jose, California. So if you want to see more of this, like our Facebook pages. Uh, if you sign up for our email of crossexamine.org, we send you one email a week with a, vi- a video, a Q&A video from the college campus, which you can share with others. People are finding that very helpful because they're short answers to tough questions. So the, the answers are normally from two to seven minutes, these little, short little videos, which you can share with others. So uh, just go to our website, crossexamine.org, click on and subscribe, and uh, you'll get one email a week from us. We don't sell your email address to anyone. We don't give it to anyone. So uh, just, uh, just uh, sign up right there. We'll protect your email address. All right. We're now talking about the big questions of life. Why does anything exist? What kind of God we've talked about if God exists? Why is there, you know, if there is no God, why is there something rather than nothing? Do you have to investigate every religion to discover which one is, if any, are true? No. You've just got to see if theism's true. If theism's true, then go and investigate the theisms and see which one of them are true. Uh, Another question that's a big question is why is the universe so orderly and where did the laws of nature come from? Yeah, where did those laws come from? In fact, as I spell out in the book Stealing from God, there was an article, a column, uh, put in the New York Times by an agnostic astronomer, uh, by then a cosmologist, respected cosmologist, by the name of Paul Davies. He uh, teaches at the University of Arizona. He's written several books. And the column that he put in the New York Times, this is about 10 years ago now, It's called Taking Science on Faith. And here's what Davies wrote. He said, all science proceeds on the assumption that nature is ordered in a rational and intelligible way. You couldn't be a scientist if you thought the universe was a meaningless jumble of odds and ends, haphazardly juxtaposed. And he went on to say that 
scientists take these orderly laws of physics on faith. That was his word. And that those laws are, quote, all expressed as tidy mathematical relationships, unquote. And then he asked a question that he's not supposed to ask as a scientist, particularly a a naturalist or somebody who's not a believer. Here's the question. He said, but where do these laws come from? And why do they have the form they do? And he said, all that led to basically to charges of my word, not his word, blasphemy. (laughs) He said, immediately following his column, he said, that his email box was, quote, overflowing with vitriol. Now, you might ask the question, why? I mean, why did his atheistic and agnostic colleagues not like the fact that Davies equated science and religion in any way? Why didn't they like that? Well, I think they misunderstood him. Davies was not saying that the methods or effectiveness of of science and religion are the same. He was only saying that both science and monotheism rest on unexplained starting points that he insists are taken on faith. For monotheism, the starting point is an unexplained God. For science, the starting point is the unexplained laws of nature. Now, I actually think that you can give evidence for God. I don't think he's unexplained, as we've talked about. And I think God, this spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent, sustainer, and creator of all things, or creator and sustainer of all things, I think, I think that being can explain why there are laws. In fact, where do laws come from? They come from lawgivers. But Davies is pointing out that the scientific community just takes those laws on faith. People like, um, oh, Peter Atkins. Yeah, Peter Atkins, who just debated you, Ross, on Justin Brierley's Uh, Unbelievable podcast. If you haven't listened to the Unbelievable podcast, it's worth listening to. Just look up Unbelievable. They actually have uh, an app now. That's one of the podcasts I listen to. And what what Justin does is he brings normally a Christian and an atheist on his program, and they have a little bit of a debate, a friendly debate. I've been on the show a couple times. Uh, It originates over in the UK. And and Peter Atkins, just in this debate with, uh, (laughs) with you, Ross, was just basically assuming that these laws of physics exist. I mean, there's no explanation. In fact, that was the title of the debate. Where do the laws of nature come from? He just assumes they exist. Well, why? Why why do they just exist? They seem to be orderly. They seem to be the product of a mind. Now, Davies uh, got some responses, as I say, mostly vitriolic from his uh, scientific community friends. Here's what he said. And, And by the way, this is, if you want to read about this, it's in the book, Stealing from God. Here's what Davies said. He said, over the years, I've often been asked, I've often asked my physicist colleagues why the laws of physics are the way they are. He said, the answers vary from, that's not a scientific question, to nobody knows. He says, the favorite reply is, there is no reason they are what they are, they just are. (laughs) There's just no reason, he says. Or there's no reason that his colleagues have for these laws of nature. And he thinks it's anti-rational and it makes a mockery of science to say that this ordered and rational universe exists as a brute fact reasonlessly, he writes. 
He wrote, can the mighty edifice of physical order we perceive in the world about us ultimately be rooted in reasonless absurdity? Absurdity? If so, then nature is a fiendishly clever bit of trickery, meaninglessness and absurdity somehow masquerading as ingenious order and rationality, unquote. Exactly. Davies has it right, and he's not a believer. I mean, how is it that a highly ordered and rational universe came from complete disorder and irrationality? Both atheists and theists have to answer that question. They have to answer, how is a highly ordered and rational universe, how did it come from complete disorder and irrationality? Atheists are going to say it did. Theists are going to say it didn't. And theists are going to say, here's why. Because the ultimate grounding of the universe is intelligence, a mind. We don't have complete disorder and irrationality. We have order. We have reason. We have rationality. These things are better explained by a uncreated, self-existing mind that created and sustains it all. Now, Davies isn't going that far. After all, he's an agnostic. He's trying to find some kind of, of, uh, some kind of cause for this inside the universe, which me is, which is to me completely missing the point. <laughs> the question is, why is the entire universe that way? But at least he's raising the question. He's raising the question that atheists don't want to deal with because there is no answer from an atheistic perspective. There is no answer to why the universe is orderly. The laws of physics are just the way they are. Not only from a fine-tuned perspective, but why are there laws at all? And why are they so precise and consistent? You know, all physical things change. Why don't the laws governing physical things change? And why are there laws at all? These are questions that are best answered, if we're going to, again, if we're trying to find what worldview best explains this, it's certainly not best explained by atheism. It's better explained by theism. And you say, well, how do you know which theism? And how do you know it's the Christian God? That, or why is it, maybe it's just a deistic God who set it up that way. How do you know it's the Christian God? And my answer is, we don't. Yet, we haven't done enough research. You don't get all the way to the Christian God by one argument. All you're saying is, at this point, is that the laws of nature, the orderliness of nature, are better explained by a God like the Christian God. But we haven't proved Christianity yet. All we've shown is that it could be the God of the Bible. Maybe it's the God of the Quran, or maybe it's just a deistic God, or maybe it's just the God of the Old Testament, or some other theistic God. All we're saying here is that there seems to be, it seems to be that the better grounding for, the better source for the laws of nature and the orderly universe is a being like God, rather than no cause which atheists want to bring forth. They're going to they're going to say it's just there without any rationality. Well, 
Rationality arose from irrationality? Order arose from chaos? That goes against everything we know from science and philosophy. But we'll talk more about this right after the break, or right after the break, we're done. We'll talk about it next week. We'll talk about it next week when we get into the big questions. We'll do a series on this, the big questions in life. What worldview better explains it, Christianity or some other worldview? Well, we'll keep talking about it, friends. See you next time. I'm Frank Turek. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.